This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Matthew chapter 2, reading from verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. When you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Let's just stop there. The record of the wise men is uh, a fascinating one. Uh, We don't know exactly who and what they were. Uh, The assumption is made that there was three because of the naming of the three gifts, but it actually doesn't say. Probability was that there was more than three. And even if there hadn't been more than three, because they were carrying very expensive gifts, you could be sure that they would have some kind of security with them. So in all probability, there was more than three. There was probably servants. There was probably guards. There would be a great caravan of people with camels heading towards Jerusalem. Now, what we do know about these men is that they were probably wealthy people, certainly not kings as one of the old songs says, but they would be wealthy people because of the expensive gifts that they were taking and because they would take so much of their time out of whatever their business was to go to this distant land and to return again. And so we can conclude from that that they were men of means. Uh, They were also intelligent men. the Magi, as they were originally called, would indicate that these were people that probably studied the stars, whether for astrology purposes or astronomy purposes. In those days, astronomy and astrology were very much a crossover business, not like today. 
but they were well acquainted with the night sky. These were people who were smart and they studied and they didn't have the means that men has got today, but with their own eyes and with their understanding and learning, they were able to study uh, the stars. And so they were intelligent enough to recognize having studied the night sky for so long that something was different one night. Now today, modern astronomy uh, most modern astron- professional astronomers today does not have a little telescope in their backyard. Amateurs do that, but they don't. They sit at a computer desk and maybe 10,000 miles away in Chile somewhere, there's these great big <laughs> land-based telescopes and it comes right into their uh, PC. And often what they do to, to find, for instance, comets, for example, they would photograph night after night after night after night after night the same patch of sky, and then they would check the photographs to see if one point of light had moved. And if that point of light had moved, they knew it wasn't a star, that it was something else, be it a comet or whatever. But in those days, of course, they didn't have anything like that. They just had knowledge. And they too would look at the same sky and they become so acquainted with it that at one point suddenly they saw something that wasn't there the night before and they recognized it and it was brighter than the rest and it was moving it wasn't a comet but it was moving and it really got their attention and they would think about it and they would check their books and their charts and so forth and with the knowledge that they acquired over the years they came to the firm conclusion that this was a sign that a king had been born, a Jewish king had been born in Israel, and that they would go and see this king, and they would bring gifts, and they would come and bring worship. And naturally they would think that if it's a king and he's born in Israel, then he would be born in the capital in Jerusalem. And if he was born in the capital in Jerusalem, he would obviously, if he's going to be a king, surely he would be a son of Herod the king. And so that would be a natural way of thinking. And they were natural men thinking natural thoughts. But they made a few mistakes. First of all, this new king would not be born in Jerusalem. He'd be born in Bethlehem. He'd not be born in a palace. He'd be born in a stable. Herod would not want to crown him. He would want to kill him. And they would suppose quite naturally that when they would get to Jerusalem and announce this news, that everybody would be excited and glad and that the religious leaders especially would be delighted and Herod would be delighted. But boy, they got that wrong too. Because that's not what happened, is it? And so having went and having gained an audience with the king, now if it had just been, say, three men in three camels coming in Jerusalem, nobody would have paid any attention to that. He probably never would have got near the palace. But imagine this big retinue, this caravan, this crowd coming, wealthy people with all of their servants and so forth and all their supplies for the long journey. That would get the attention of the whole city certainly would get the attention of Herod, and it did. And so they had an audience with King Herod, and they told this amazing story about this special star, as they would believe, that was in the sky. And what they found was that the religious group, 
the scribes, the Pharisees, uh, the scribes and, uh, and the chief priests, that they weren't really interested. They didn't really care. They were indifferent. In fact, they were ignorant that anybody had even been born that could be remotely be a king. And so Herod, though his interest was piqued, because as soon as they said that a king had been born, here's a man who would, who would feel threatened immediately. Here's a man who was paranoid. Here was a man actually who was brilliant, but he was brutal. Here's a man who could build the most exquisite buildings, who could build the great temple, but he was brutal, had a murderous heart. Here's a man who killed his own wife and her three brothers, slaughtered them because they deemed him to pose a threat to his throne. And so when he heard about a king, his ears picked up. And when that happened, what he did was he, he brought together all of the chief priests and the scribes to investigate this story that he's just been told. And these are men who knew the scriptures, and they were able quite quickly to tell him that it would be in Bethlehem, according to Micah chapter 5, verse 2, the, the new chapter and verse for this. That it would be Bethlehem that now they're thinking Messiah rather than an ordinary king. They're thinking Messiah. And yet, here's the amazing thing in all of this. Here are these religious leaders who knew the scriptures, who were able to say correctly and truthfully that Messiah, this king, was going to be born or was born in Bethlehem, Judea. And yet, even though it was only five miles from Jerusalem, not one of them wanted to go and see. That shows you the spiritual climate in Israel at that particular time. Remember I told you this morning, this was just after the 400 years of silence from heaven. Things was really, really dark spiritually. So dark that these religious leaders would not even walk five miles to see Messiah. This is what they had waited for all of their lives for Messiah to come. And now they're being told. And now they're looking at Scripture and they see it, but they don't want it. They're not going to go. And they didn't go. And of course, then Herod... He lied to the wise men, didn't he? He says, go and find the young child and tell me that I may go and worship him also. All they wanted to do was go and murder him. And so they set off down the road to find this young child. And then behold, the star, which they had seen in the east, suddenly reappeared again. And notice here, we read, it stood over the house, not the stable, where the young child, not the baby, lay. And so in all our nativity things, and we mean well, and we've got to fit it all in, just like it was on the screen a moment ago, but the reality is the wise men did not go to the manger. Jesus, by this time, had probably probably maybe one, one and a half, no older than two, but certainly not a little baby. And not in a manger, but in a house. And this star, such nonsense 
is talked about this star. Every Christmas, every Christmas, all the planetariums, all the observatories all over the world have stories and, uh, and all kinds of exhibitions about the Christmas star. And they speculate, is it a conjunction of planets? Is it a supernova? Is it this? Is it that? Is it the other? If only they would read their Bible and say it's none of those things. Because it says the star sat over the house where the young child lay. A star, a literal star, is a sun. And our star, our sun, is quite a small star, and yet you could put over a million earths into it. So could you imagine that over Bethlehem? It's ridiculous. It was a supernatural light. It appeared to them as a star, as a point of light, and they followed it. But then it came right down, right over the very house. I mean, the North Star is over the whole Northern Hemisphere. So how are you going to pick out what that's directly above? So this is a supernatural light that God sent to guide these men. And then they entered into the house, they saw the young child, and immediately they worshipped him. That tells us something else about these men. This encounter with the Christ child had a profound spiritual effect upon them. They went looking for a political king, but they found a spiritual king. And they presented unto him their gifts, their gold, their frankincense, and their myrrh, which God, unbeknown to them, had put upon their hearts because Mary and Joseph, shortly after this, would have to fly to Egypt because Herod wanted to destroy the child. And so the time they spent in Egypt, all expenses paid by the gold, the frankincense, and the mirror. Wonderful as that, all that is, and you can say much more about it, it's verse 12 that gets my attention. Verse 12, Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. They departed for their own country another way. Physically, they did not go back the way they came. Spiritually, they did not go back the way they came. They went back another way. How much they understood of Christ, that side of Calvary, we may never know. But the God who supernaturally led them and supernaturally warned them must surely have given them some kind of understanding of who this child was, at least to impact them, to change them. I don't think God would have just sent them halfway across that country, probably from Persia to Jerusalem. On a flight of fancy, he, he was doing something, and he was doing something in their hearts also. And so they would never, ever be the same after that encounter with Christ. Wise men who find Jesus always depart after their encounter with him. They always depart another way. Men and women who find Christ are given a new direction in life, a new path to walk upon. They do not go back to their country the way they came, the old way. They go back a new way, and a brand new way, the only way. If any man is in Christ, he is what? A new creature. 
That's what the birth of Christ means, that God has offered to man a new way, a brand new way, a better way, in fact, the only way. Saul of Tarsus didn't go back from Damascus the old way that he came. He went back another way, spiritually speaking. He was not the same man on the way back as he was going. Sure he wasn't. He met Christ on the road to Damascus and he had such an an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ that he was forever changed. And he went back, and he went back to be a preacher of the gospel of all things. The persecutor of Christians became a preacher of the gospel. He did not go back the way he came. He was a changed man. Saul, the son of Kish, was out looking for his father's lost donkeys. And instead he found Samuel the prophet. Ha. Huh. And he found his purpose in life. Because Samuel told him he was going to be king of Israel. And he went back a different man than he came, didn't he? First Samuel 10, 9 says, And God gave him another heart. <laughs> he went back another way. He went back another man. He went back with another heart. Something happens whenever we have an encounter with God, isn't it? Something changed. We're never the same again. Saul becomes Paul. Simon becomes Peter. Abram becomes Abraham. Sarah becomes Sarah. Jacob becomes Israel. Something happens. Something changes. We're not the old person. We don't go the old paths, the old ways. There's a new way in our life. There's a new direction. There's a new purpose. Praise the Lord. Onesimus, Paul writes in the little book of Philemon, verse 11. Onesimus, the runaway slave who met Paul and got saved, and Paul sent him back to his boss. His name means profitable. That's what Onesimus means, profitable. So Paul says in verse 11, in effect, he who was profitable but became unprofitable has now become profitable again. Hallelujah. He went back to his master different than when he left him. He didn't go back the same way. Everybody who meets Christ who has a true encounter with Jesus is changed. Do not go back the same way. Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus cast seven devils. When she walked into Jesus' life, when she left Christ that day, she was a different woman, wasn't she? (laughs) She didn't go back the way she came. She was changed forever. The leprous man who walked into Christ did not return the way he came. He was completely physically changed. The beggar who sat at the highway side when he met Christ, he didn't go back to his house that day the way he came. He threw off that beggar's robe because he would no longer be a beggar. He'd no longer be a blind man. He would go and get a job. He would support his family. Everyone who meets Christ, truly meets Christ, is changed in a wonderful way. One of the greatest evidence we have that we have truly encountered Christ is that we no longer walk in the old ways. 
I have serious problems with people who say they're saved and they're still walking in those old ways. There's no lifestyle change. Something doesn't add up. If we truly meet Christ, we'll change. Jesus says, I am the way. And Hebrews 10.20 says, Christ has made for us a new and a living way. Jesus said about this way, it is a narrow way. It's a narrow way. Few there be that find it, he says. But the broad way, it's full of people. But the narrow way, few that be that find it. But it's the right way. It's the only way. It's the Christ way. And whenever we meet Jesus, we start to walk on that narrow way that will lead us straight to heaven's gates. Now there are those today who seek Christ out of curiosity. They wonder if he was a real person, an actual historic figure, or was he just an ordinary man with a messianic complex, a decent man, but a deluded man at that. They wonder, did he really say those things about himself, that he was the Son of God, or was that just stuff that his followers made up to elevate him? They wonder. Can we trust the written word? Can we trust this written record of his life in the Gospels? Or is it fables and myths and made-up stories, as we're told by many today? There's people who are curious, and they're wondering, and they're looking, and they're reading. And they're going into libraries to find things out, everything they can find, because they're curious. Then there are those today who seek Christ out of courtesy. They're thoughtful people. Well, they think we'll give them a fair hearing. After all, we live in a Christian country. It's only right that we examine our Christian heritage and culture. They'll not be rude or disparaging towards Christ, but neither will they commit to him. It's a courtesy thing. Well, I'll just find out a little bit here. But I don't want to commit to him. But then there are those today who seek Christ out of conviction. They have, as it were, seen his star in the east. But their interest is not idle curiosity or some historic lesson. It's much, much deeper than that. The Holy Spirit has touched their heart. And they're on a search for truth. There's a conviction within them that this is real, that this is true, and I need to find out more because I can't sleep at night because this never lets me go. Because when I'm in the workplace, I'm still thinking about it. When I drive along the road, I'm thinking about it. There's a conviction there, not an idle curiosity, not even courtesy. It's conviction. The Holy Spirit is drawing them to Christ. Do you remember when the Holy Spirit was convicting you? Because I remember when he was convicting me. I couldn't let go of it. I couldn't have got it out of my mind if I tried, and I did try many times, but it kept coming back and back and back. The very thought of eternity. 
Why? Because I was convicted. Because of the prayers of my wife and my sisters and others praying for me continually, the Holy Spirit was working in my heart, convicting me, drawing me to come to Christ. And once somebody who's under conviction comes to Christ and they truly find him, they too will depart another way. They will never, ever be the same again. Amen? So where are we tonight? What way are we on tonight? Are we on the old way or the new way? One way leads to life, the other leads to death. One leads to light, one leads to darkness. One leads to heaven, one leads to hell. One is the narrow way, one is the broad way. There's only two ways. Which way are we on tonight? And they went back another way. January the 6th is in the Christian calendar Epiphany. Epiphany. And that's the time when officially this story I'm telling you about of the wise men going to find the king, this is when that would be officially celebrated. Not the 25th, but the 6th of January, Epiphany. The word Epiphany means revelation or manifestation. We talk about somebody who's just discovered something. They say, oh, we had an epiphany. That's what it means our eyes are open, we could see it. That's what that means. Now, isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that we preached this morning about Simeon and how he prophesied about Jesus Remember what he said about Jesus? How he would be a light to give revelation to the Gentiles? Epiphany to the Gentiles. Revelation, manifestation to the Gentiles. So here right at the very beginning, right at that moment when they see the Christ child, something happens to them. They have an epiphany. Something happens and they're never the same again. And that's what happened to us. The Holy Spirit of God shone a light in our hearts and suddenly we could see for the first time, really truly see Christ for what he was. It's as if the light went on in our hearts and our heads and we could see that a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel, Simeon's prophecy said. And so they departed another way. I wish, and the Bible doesn't do this all the time, but I wish, I wish the Holy Spirit had followed that up for us to see the change in their lives. But he just leaves it hanging there for us to think about but we have plenty of other examples, haven't we? Saul of Tarsus and all the rest of it mentioned. To know enough to know that when we meet Christ, we are completely changed and our life takes an entirely different direction and we do not live the old life and walk the old paths. Christ has given us a new way, a narrow way, a better way, the only way. And it's our way. Christ has given it to us. Amen?
Let's pray. Lord, our lives have been enriched because of the Advent stories. These are written for our admonition. Lord, you cause the Holy Spirit to record these for us to be encouraged and strengthened and given hope by. And so we give you thanks. We bless you that you came to this sin-cursed world And as a man, you gave your life on that cross for us. We thank you for that. And Lord, tonight we give you our lives. We submit ourselves to you. We thank you, Lord, that you guide us and lead us by your Spirit. And we thank you, Lord, that we are privileged and honored to follow you today. And so, Lord, as it comes up to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, over this next few days period, we pray, Lord, that our eyes will be continually open to the goodness of God. And, Lord, that these will just not be little stories that we hear once a year, but the truth of them will live with us and change us continually. So we give you thanks. Bless, Lord, Thursday night as we come together. We pray there will be a lovely sense of your presence. Again, as we sing these great carols, remind it, Lord, of what you have done for us and how you came. So we return thanks to you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.